0: back to the podcast I hope you've all had a absolutely fabulous week it is so good to have you here I can't believe that I'm at episode 33 so that's just wild which is cool so to start off today I just want to say a big thanks to everybody that has voted for me to be in the running for the best wellness podcast at the Newcastle podcast Festival. Um, I really appreciate the support. It's been a lot of fun the last 12 months creating and cultivating these conversations with epic guests, epic women. It's yeah, been a lot of fun. So thank you so much. Let's get stuck into today's episode. I'm chatting with Beck Craight. Beck is a mummer of boys and an abundance coach. She is also an advocate for all things self-love, health, and well-being. In today's episode, we unpack old beliefs surrounding body image and worth. Beck shares her journey in motherhood and why she has had a huge shift in her internal dialogue and built an abundance of confidence which in turn has cultivated her a life of wealth in all areas. We dive into why our low vibration repels abundance and why when we stop playing small and start approving ourselves we find the magic. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you feel like something resonates with you here I'd love for you to share to your IG stories. Let's spread the word and help me support and motivate more women who Need to hear this conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to finally have you on the podcast. We've been connecting for a little while on the old Graham, and it's yeah, good to have you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Sorry about uh, our. We had to reschedule. My two-year-old broke his arm.
0: I know, I know the poor little dude. How's he doing now?
1: He's good. We've got um a three more weeks in a new cast, but um. I realized just like just this morning that's seven weeks of a summer that my two-year-old has had a cast along his arm so uh, and you can't get
0: them wet can you
1: well we have done that but you're not supposed to you have to get a new one when you wet it
0: <laughs> yeah. oh man but like he's three, yeah
1: hey yeah yeah it's pretty hectic but it was a good break so I'm happy that it's in like something where you can't move it
0: (laughs) oh poor little man so to start us off today I would love to know a little about you and your story can you just share a little bit about your life back
1: sure so I'm 37 I have two young boys a two and a five-year-old now
0: um
1: I I guess my message and what I try to like talk about and have conversations around is definitely just a reality um I'm just doing my best like any other mother and for me motherhood was such I'm a really I'm really excited and I love change and motherhood changed everything (laughs) for pretty much my life up until motherhood I was I was definitely living life from a masculine energy I was forcing things I was pushing things I was so unconscious around the energies even though I kind of on a analytical scale I kind of knew a little bit about energies and things but I really didn't recognize how much I was pushing until I um kind of got thrown into motherhood mm. so when I was younger I went through an eating disorder when I was 15 and I pretty much recovered from that over the next 2 to 3 years but for the next decade I was stuck in a lifestyle of dieting which for me was a fear-based mentality I didn't really realize that and recognize that until 10 years later when I realized, oh my gosh, there's this whole body love thing that you can do where you can accept and love yourself and it's got nothing to do with the scales and nothing to do with the number and nothing to do with how you feel or how your clothes fit. And so I started that conversation with myself and I really did that. And I, at the same time, went into personal training Mm -hmm. and I went into personal training. I worked for a, a large influencer and we did outdoor training we had lots and lots of women come through our gates and kind of come in going i need to lose weight or i want to tone up and um through that experience i worked for her for about four years and through that experience i recognized and realized that it wasn't weight it wasn't a body image it wasn't a body type it wasn't something it wasn't we weren't we're not looking for as women happiness um, sorry we are looking for happiness but we're not going to find it when we hit a certain weight mm. you know I would have 40 year old women jump on a scale look up at me who was like you know half their age and look at me like I was this giant authoritative figure that was going to get mad at them for eating a cupcake mm. and you know because the scale didn't reflect something that they the expectation that they had and I was like I don't care if you ate a cupcake like let's and I realized that conversation it just needed to be had and i couldn't do that in those two or three minutes on the scale wanes every two weeks um, in our 12-week challenges and so what i found was these women that had started you know six the challenge seven or eight weeks ago we earlier who couldn't even run up a hill like they would be stopping three or four times were achieving these huge milestones signing up to 10 kilometer runs their clothes were fitting better all these things, but they were so laser sharp focused on a scale or guilt and shame around food. And I kind of just, my heart would sink with it. It was crazy. Um, but I just knew something had to be, something had to happen. So I was still in my masculine energy. I was still working and teaching people how to, how to eat properly or how to eat to lose weight, how to talk to themselves kindly, but also how to exercise and taking them through these 12 week challenges. And I did my masculine normal self and um, basically burnt myself out in that industry. Mm. I worked so hard. I had a great six figure income, but I didn't know how to self love myself. And so I didn't have great boundaries. I didn't have, um, you know, I didn't have, I would just put so much into it. And I didn't have kids at the time. So I had all this extra time to do that. Yes. And then basically I went, okay, I'm burnt out in this industry. Let's try something else. And so my husband and I worked together in a small business and it was in that small business, I fell pregnant, had a baby, and I was taken out of the front line of a business that is very social, very networky, very wonderful and built from the ground up. So there was this level of creativity and happiness around what you've created for the community. I was taken out of that front line, which was a coffee shop. And I was taken out of there and I was thrown into my townhouse in these four walls with a newborn baby and being taken out of a space where I couldn't control the income that was coming in. And I didn't, I just didn't have this level of control in my life anymore. And then I had a child as well, who was like, I am going to show you how to love yourself
0: and how to surrender.
1: (laughs) surrender i was actually saying to my best friend yesterday um i've had two home births and (laughs) for someone who's a complete control freak those two home birth experiences were the most magical best experience of my life because i just didn't all i had to do was surrender and let my body do what it needed to do and let their chips fall the way they needed to i was very blessed um to have good births but i was also in a space where people would say to me don't don't set your expectations too high. But in my head, I was like, I'm okay if I have to get intervention as well. Yeah. And so I felt like that whole experience was the first step in motherhood, the like letting go, <laughs> the reality that you actually have no control. Your kids are completely unpredictable from even like when you uh, have the intention to create into to fall pregnant, you know, you can't control any of it. Mm. Um, so I had a baby and then basically... <laughs> really kind of looked at our lifestyle and went, this isn't going to work like working in a business like this and you being there and not me being able to like not earn money. And that's when my fear from, you know, my fear around body image and I wasn't good enough and I needed to look and live a certain way. I'd healed like my body, my physical side of it. But all I did was really just pick up my fear and place it into my money story. Mm. And what I realized then was Holy cow. Like I'm just shifting. I'm not actually doing the work on myself to evolve and to literally, truly bring in self-love and love and all the things, whatever it looks like for you. And for me, it looks really different to the next person, but I, and I'm still learning, like I'm never going to hit a state where everything is like perfect. And I'm like incomplete, you know, um, euphoria with myself. Yes. But, um, but yeah, so it was probably then and there that I realized that I wanted to work online. And that was when I really started to self-discover and um, really realized that I needed to upgrade my marriage. I needed to upgrade my communication. I needed to upgrade my relationship with my kid. I needed to upgrade what I wanted my lifestyle to look like and just everything changed. So for me, that's where I guess my journey started online, um, learning about how to launch a business online, how to be consistent, how to create beautiful content for people How to connect with people properly. Mm -hmm. And even though I virtually connect with a lot of people, I have a huge network of people that I love and adore. And some I've never met, some I've met, some I've met through having a virtual connection. And I feel very full now. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. My job now is to teach people how to create an income using social media. But my message is if you have stories, if you have limiting beliefs, if you have blocks, you're waking up in the morning and you're not liking what you look like, um, but you want to create this amazing life and you have like dreams and goals. We need to do some work around your story, around how you're basically you're waking up and contracting every part of your energy. And so you'll never be able to open the vortex and allow magnetic abundance in every aspect of your life. So if you're waking up with a lack mentality which is the opposite to self-love, um, you won't get what you want. And you'll be stuck kind of in a space where you know that you're unhappy and unfulfilled and um, not excited about your life, but you don't know why. And that's what I do is I come in and I teach people how to get clarity around that. Um, if they want to launch a business with me, that I can teach them how to create an income specifically online as well. And it all starts with our health. So that yeah. healthy mind, body and soul.
0: there's so much that I love with everything that you've just said Um, in particular I resonate so much with you know you having your first son and then going being confined to the four walls of your home and having that fast-paced high energy job on the front line and then then shifting your complete identity and then you're at home and you've got this baby and you're confined to these four walls my husband and I have a shipping container business um it's a sales office um in Newcastle and we're an Australia-wide business so the phones are go 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 all day and it's very very high energy the way that I relate it we've always said it's like if you've seen Wolf of Wall Street where you walk in the sales office and it's a trade floor that's what it's like all day long so being my I was the sales manager like I ran the floor I ran the team I'd done the hiring and firing my masculine energy was there was no feminine there (laughs) There's nothing other than me having a vagina, there was no feminine there. I was just go hard all day and I, you know, boss mode sort of thing. And now, upon reflection, I can look back on that and mean, like me and my husband coming home from a full day at work where he's obviously in his masculine because he is boss and I'm boss as well. And then we're getting home and this is why our communication was so off around that time because I was still in my masculine energy and so was he and we were just like, oh, butting heads there for a while. And um, I'm so, look, it, it was hard, that transition, that new identity, the, the, the motherhood season is tough. And then if you're someone like you and I that were on the front line of the high energy, fast-paced business world, being at home, being a stay-at-home mom isn't enough. You yeah. want more and I needed more and I knew that. I'm like, this isn't what it cracks up to be like. You know, I thought I'd be driving around going to yoga with my baby mums and bubs, coffees <laughs> and playgroups and I'd be like, oh, this is a good life. Like this is a good rest holiday. No, that stuff was boring. I'm not into that. I went to one mother's scene and I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just digressing backward a little bit, you were talking about body image and um and how you had an eating disorder when you were younger that was about 15 you said when did body image and body shaming first show up in your life that you can recall was there a childhood memory or something that pops up
1: oh I don't think it's one specific one um a few are flooding back now, but I yeah. think it's the culture of dieting in the home. And my mom was a dieter, and she's still like she's not so much a dieter now. She's a bit older, a bit more mature. But mm-hmm. it was definitely the culture of dieting. So, like you know, for me, there were a few other things that happened in my teenage years in terms of like gluten free and things like that. Yeah. I think it's just the whole. I did dancing as well, so there was always some sort of pressure around how you looked. I think for me, when it comes back to the super core of like my upbringing, my dad, you know, he was an immigrant. It was always about what you look like or how you were presented to the world. So I think that was a big thing. I, my son is the same as me. We have really thin wavy, like ratty hair. And even when you brush it, it kind of looks the same. he's, his looks amazing. He's a little surfer dude. But, like, for me, I remember my dad probably commenting a couple of times around, Can't you brush her hair? My mom would be like, I just did it. Um, I do remember one time, I actually, this is funny back to me. One time, my dad was like pushing his chair back on the veranda, and I was like a four year old kid. I remember the bathers I was wearing, their little Australis bait, you know, koala bathers. And I was trying to squeeze past him, and he was like, What are you too fat to move past? So isn't it wild? Because I would have been like four or five. Yeah. And like that wouldn't have played out at all. I was a healthy, fit tomboy. Like
0: Mm -hmm. I didn't care about
1: what I look like. For me, it was a level of control when I was 15, when I went through that. And I didn't realize it until a couple of years later. Um, You know, there are a few stories that played out, you know, me not having enough of a voice to have you know, these things happen in my life as well. Like for a few extra years, it wasn't until I was 26 that I even spoke about my eating disorder. And I remember the first time I spoke about it, my personal training friend, uh, sorry, coach and boss, he, you know, got me into a room. We were doing this um, nine week challenge and it was a very masculine personal training. It was at vision personal training. And I remember being in the room with him and he was so quiet and he sat there and he just listened. And I was like, like, I just remember this, like this wave of emotions coming through me and tears coming down because I'd always been such a strong person. I was always the strong person and I just was in this vulnerable space. And I remember like the anxiety in my body and everything and just him being like, so you put eating disorder on your form. Tell me a bit about that. And I couldn't even speak the words around it because I'd mm. almost locked that in my body and my, my words and like, I locked it into my body for literally 10 years.
0: Wow.
1: Um, so it was a huge thing for me to do that. But I think it was, you know, I went to a primary uh, Catholic uh, high school as well. And I swear 95% of the girls had eating disorders. We starved ourselves. We, you know, we, we binge ate. We would use bulimia. We would control ourselves. And I think I was just in this state where I was such a lost teenager And I don't think my parents have the toolbox to help me out of it. My sister helped me a little bit, you know, but there was lots of destruction going on around my world in that state that the only thing I could control was what I would eat. Mm -hmm. So for me, body image was a part of that, but I know now that it's part of the conversations I need to have with other people because it doesn't create a lump in my throat anymore, but it creates a lump in a lot of people's throats. So the conversation needs to be had.
0: This episode is brought to you by Mullen Health. Mullen Health are Newcastle's leading naturopaths and they provide patients the tools to be well naturally. The team specialise in areas such as gut issues, women's health, anxiety and much more. They focus not only on treating the symptoms but determining the underlying cause. Mullen Health would like to offer Inside Out listeners 50% off your first consultation when you book in February. This includes initial testing package for free. They test toxicity using quad scan, zinc levels and pH in order to determine the challenges you face and how they can best help you achieve optimal health. All you need to do is give them a call and organise your first consultation. I have personally worked closely with the team over at Mullen Health and I have seen incredible results and I know you will too. So what are you waiting for? Give them a call, book in that initial consultation. As you know, my number one message is to take care of you from the inside out and Mullen Health are the professionals to support you to do that. Now let's get back to today's episode.
1: You know, we're not what we look like. We're not... We just aren't, but there is a level. And I remember when I first started this, I had a business called I Quit Diets. And I remember the messaging that I would sort of show and share on social media. And I remember being not confused, but a little bit like, I still want people to eat well, but I want them to find their own version of that. And I guess that's what I found with the Health Hub now is that it's okay for me to have a message that might contradict or conflict with like something I used to say or something that somebody else says in this, Conversation. Mm. It's about just having the conversation and letting people take bits and pieces. Um, for me, it's about finding a health, a version of health that works for you, emotional, mental, physical, and um allowing
0: that to be your new norm. Yeah, and I think with the season of life, like we don't have to apologize for growth, whether that's self-development, whether that's our eating habits, whether it's relationships. You don't have to apologize just because you said something 12 months ago doesn't mean that you're going to feel the same now. And if you're constantly educating yourself and leaning into different opportunities and resources to grow as a human being, then your health is going to change and your desires are going to change with that. So food, different foods and fads and diets and things that you enjoy and things that you don't enjoy are going to come and go. But as long as your message is, I guess, the same in terms of just wanting people to to find what works for them. I think that's super important because everybody is different. As I know, that's something you advocate for as well. Nobody is exactly the same. No foods do the same thing as other foods for other people. I know that um, what's that seaweed? Like the seaweed, like little cracker things. They're so beneficial and they're so awesome. I went and got them, and I was like, me and Jesse can have these seaweed crackers and be so healthy, and you know, get all the antioxidants and things out of them. And I had like one bite, and I swear, like, I vomited in my mouth. And I'm like, I can't make my son eat these. Like, it's <laughs> made me sick. I had to go and wash, brush my teeth, and like, I'm not gonna eat it just because it's they're good for me. You know what I mean? I can get those minerals and vitamins from other foods. It's possible. <laughs>
1: If this seaweed cracker doesn't bring me joy, should I have it? And I think that's the thing is we go, should we do it? Because the diet industry says X, Y, Z. And then it's like, nah, I don't like it. Like, it's like when people used to ask me about protein powder. I was like, the best protein powder is the one that you're going to finish the bloody tub for. Yeah, like, You know, it's, there's just, and there's so many bits and pieces now that you're like, oh, I'm confused. Does this mean this? or does that mean that? And I think when you do it, the, the dieting industry's message is to fear us into dropping weight or toning up. I have no problem with people dropping weight or toning up. Like, but do it from a place of inspired action. Mm-hmm. Do it from a place where you're so in love with the process that on the weeks where your body's might maybe doesn't shift the weight that you want it to, you don't care. You're just going to keep doing it because you're so in love with making beautiful food for yourself. You're so in love with the honoring. You're so in love with the soulful um, bits and pieces that bring you joy. If you love chocolate, go and find the absolute most expensive, best, high quality, most upgraded level of chocolate for you and make it a ritual. Like fall in love with food, fall in love with your body, be grateful for where you are right now with your body. When I started to heal my body image stuff, um, my first question that probably... You know, I was told it wasn't my fault and that was like the biggest relief ever. Um, But she also said, you know, like I was 70 kilos at the time and I remember just being like 70 kilos, like there was so much shame around that. I should be 60, all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm 168 centimeters. I'm not overweight. I'm not underweight, whatever you want to sort of talk about. But I mean, I'm okay if I want to lose five kilos or if I don't lose five kilos. These are all my decisions and my choices and I can if I'm moving through a place of gratitude and love when I decide to change or transform my body, that's where I want to be in the state of, because it's a level of high energy and frequency and it means I can live from a place of joy while I'm doing those changes. But she said to me, if you could, and this is a great question for your listeners, if you could live for the rest of your life in the body and the weight that you're at right now, could you be happy? And I was like, well, I guess that's my decision. Yeah, And it wasn't about the weight. And I was like, what if I just weighed 70 kilos for the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. And I kind of just thought, well, I've got two choices here. I could be really unhappy for the rest of my life and that's the path I chose. Or I could be happy at 70 kilos for the rest of my life. And I was like, holy shit. You're yes. Like you're giving me permission to literally just like myself the way I am. This is the first conversation, the first part of my life I'm 26, this is the first time somebody's asked me, could I accept myself? And I was like, oh, <laughs> like, wow. And I'm like, holy shit, isn't that a defining moment? Wow. Like, you know, and for me, that was, it wasn't a counsellor. It was a, she was a coach. Um, K- Kayla, Kayla, Kayla from Life After Diets in Brisbane, she saved my life, hand on heart. Wow, that's like,
0: a- Out of my
1: life died in jail cell and went you know what you can love yourself the way you are and that's when the journey really started
0: (laughs) that is such a pivotal moment for you and such a positive way to reflect and go inward on on who you are and what you truly want from this life you know So, just going back a little bit um with recovery can you share your experience with recovery from an eating disorder what resources other than the coach what did you lean into at that time how are you now do you have triggers that often pop up um, my recovery was not traditional at all. I didn't,
1: I, like I said, my parents didn't have the toolbox. It was kind of under the
0: yep, under, sort of under the, rug. Under yeah. the
1: rug. My sister was going through a lot of stuff personally herself. Um, but my sister had, um, she had found my Metamucil, which I, which was a laxative I was taking. And I, I delved in those sorts of things and I, you know, I kind of, it, it It was one of those things that like, I think I was in grade 10 or 11 um, and I was very underweight. I was about 48 kilos um, and yeah, it was pretty, I was pretty thin and it was just about control. Like I just remember I would, um, I knew how to like, just play it. Like I had so much stuff outside of school and then at school I knew I'd only have to eat this and this and then have this much water. Um, It was very sneaky. Mm. which it is with people with eating disorders and um, things like that. And I wasn't the only one in school going through it, but I think visually a lot of people could probably see it the most with me. Um, so I, my sister basically was like older and she's got, she's got a fight in her. And so she kind of just, her and her boyfriend at the time found the Metamucil and just yelled at me. <laughs> this is my recovery. Oh. She yelled at me and said, this is ridiculous. You can't do this, blah, blah, blah. And um, I was like, yelled back and said, I don't even, this doesn't even work. I don't even eat all that sort of stuff. And so that was my pivotal moment for specifically starvation and bulimia. Yep. But My recovery beyond that, that was, it it was, that was the hardest part. The dieting years, it was 10 years of, I'm going to try this cabbage diet. And I think people were like, well, she's eating. So it's okay. So I really hadn't touched any of the mental stuff, any of the psychological things, um, for me, I was on a cabbage diet and then I would like in year 12, I would cook steak and salad for every single lunch, you know, and I would live off that. But then I would still be eating my friend's buttered sandwiches because I was so starving and so depleted. And so I was constantly just obsessed with calories and um diets and trying a new diet it was like the monday diet the sunday night weigh in the monday diet the wednesday you know Fredo frog and coke you know of an afternoon and i think i lived for a few years um just before i turned 26 and i had that moment i i lived for a few years where i was kind of okay like i just stopped i stopped weighing myself and i thought that would be my healing process and then i weighed myself and my friend who was a bodybuilder at the time he put me on a nutritionally um, supportive diet, so I ate a lot. So that's when I was introduced to the protein side of things, not just the calorie restrictions that I'd kind of done previously. Like, I'm just going to eat gherkins for a week and rollerblade to work every single day. Like, um, you know, and my body's the sort of body if I do exercise, I get smaller, but I don't weigh any different. And so for me to shift weight until I was introduced to protein and macronutrients. Um, my my weight and my body fat metabolism really didn't react much. It was just about like, I'm going to lose weight, then I'm going to gain more than what I lost up until that point. So he introduced me to, I guess, a diet that made me feel satiated. And so that was the first time I kind of realized, okay, there's something in food here. And I was really interested in nutrition at that point. So I actually started to be a nutritionist for a little bit and realized I didn't want to be a nutritionist. I was just interested in food. I always knew that the food could heal my body. I've always, always believed in that. And I've been obsessed with Louise Hay for a long time. So I know that our emotional state is highly connected with the way that our body shows and gives us feedback as well. So up until about when I was 26 doing that, um, I I did a diet with the vision personal training. It was the six-week diet. And I remember, you know, looking at all my nutrition and mapping it out. My friends from school were a bit worried that I'd relapse that was probably the only time that they were like, okay, she's doing personal training. And I kind of knew I was doing it from a place of love. Like I knew it was in a good place. I had my um, boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband. He was around, like I was in a good spot. So it wasn't really like, and I was starting to talk about body love and things like that. But that was probably my biggest relapse in the sense that I became quite obsessed, um, extremely irrational, very hangry at home and irritable. Um, I wasn't a nice person to be around, and that's when I realised and had that conversation with um, Fabian, I think his name was, and I realised I needed help. So it was basically the tracking of everything, the control around food for me Mm -hmm. that really um, got me. The first time I was introduced to the protein and the carbohydrates, I felt really good because my body had, like, just been so depleted for so long. But the next time where I kind of had to fully track and I remember a, a guy that worked with me yelling at me because I had a rice cake instead of a Ravita because I was gluten-free. And I also was really confused by the idea that I could have a diet coke, but not an apple. And so I was kind of, re- I just got triggered and I just, I fell back into, and my body changed a lot. Like I was lifting weights. I was sprinting. I physically was a machine, But mentally and emotionally, for someone who is an extrovert, who is social, I couldn't deal with the going out to dinner thing. I was like trying not to have a glass of wine when I'm like, but wine brings me joy, you know? So I just, I felt like I was missing out. Mm. And then I obviously, I also didn't have a lot of money coming through. So I had these kind of conversations, there's all this fear stuff going on. And I guess that's when I relapsed to a degree, even though I was fueling my body highly. So I was... Eating a lot of food every single day, and I was meal prepping and I was doing all the things, but I was a bitch at home basically.
0: Yeah, you weren't happy. No, you weren't happy in your skin, I really, um, you just made me remember something there about the, the in high school and the Monday and the Sunday, like the Monday diet and things. And I just had flashbacks because that was exactly me through all of my schooling. And I, I guess, I didn't really reflect on that time as me having an eating disorder, but I think that you know, come today, that's probably something that I would diagnose as having an eating disorder because of that vicious cycle. I was constantly starting the diet on the Monday. I'd go for a walk. Like, yeah. 30, I thought 30, three 30-minute 30 walks a day, um, a, a day, a week would be enough for me to lose the weight that I wanted to lose. But by Wednesday, I was getting chips, Coke, you know, all this crap from the canteen. I'd save up my money and take it to school. And I wouldn't tell mum. Mum would pack this beautiful gourmet salad because she knew that I was trying to lose weight. And it's not, not putting any uh, form of blame on her, but she was almost encouraging me to lose weight because I was so miserable. Yeah. I was 16. I was diagnosed with depression. Now I don't think I had depression at all. I just think that it was easier to give me that diagnosis. Diagnosis because I didn't drink enough water. I didn't exercise well. I was lazy. My skin was bad. I ate poorly. If there was, you know, we were having spaghetti three times a week at home. And I'm talking with the parmesan and cheese and the you know, pasta. <laughs> And like now I don't eat spaghetti at all because I hate it because we had it so often as a kid. But one thing that I had forgotten about, I used to work at Coles and I was told that you, you drink more water, you lose weight. So I drank before I went to work in that whole school day. 10 liters of water
1: oh my goodness
0: I got to Coles I got to remember going to the checkout and I fainted and the ambulance got called and they're like you know have you eaten today I'm like yes I had this I knew everything that I'd eaten and they're like have you drank much water I'm like have I drank water I've drank 10 liters of water and they're like whoa like that's too much (laughs) you're not supposed to drink that much (laughs) that's so much water i know because i and i know it was 10 because i drank five like over every period and then i drank the three liters before school and then i drank two liters i remember sculling it on the bus on the way to the um on the way to work yeah it was a lot of water but like it was in my head i've got to lose weight so i've got to drink water this is what i'm going to do my new diet i'm going to drink heaps yeah. of, of weight. yeah yeah and it's, it's the message right it's you
1: know lose weight do this and you'll be happy and
0: that's like- and how, as a mum now, how are you influencing, I mean, I know your boys are young, um, but you know, they're, they're sponges, they're taking it all in. Oh, so how are you influencing and encouraging these healthy mind frames surrounding their relationships with food now?
1: Um, well, I guess at the end of the day, like my rule personally, not that I like say it out loud, maybe I do, I don't know, but my rule is they have to taste it. Like they have to decide if they don't want it by actually trying it, you know,
0: and
1: you don't give them the rainbow. Obviously we, we give them some whole food supplementation. So I'm kind of like, okay, if they just eat white food today, then I've won. <laughs> um, I, we give them smoothies every single morning. At the end of the day, you know, there are physiological things that you need to make sure your kids have got enough sleep. They've got enough water. They've got enough food. I don't know what's wrong with them. If somebody said you had to do these three things, I wouldn't, I wouldn't resist it, but they resist it with me sometimes. I was like, are you sure you don't want to eat this food? Um, so obviously you have to make sure they're eating enough, but sometimes you just, there's a level of like intuition, but then as a mother, you're like, I know that you're hungry. That's why you're losing your mind. So before kids, I was like, they're just going to be intuitive and I'm only going to feed them X, Y, Z. Now I'm just like, if they get one thing with high nutrition in every single day, I'm winning, I'm beating them, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so it's more about like giving them the variety um, and just like kind of making sure that they're getting, just, just being aware of their patterns. I guess when I have conversations with them about it, it's just about like, well, you know, if we're eating, like if we're having some sort of lot, the only thing I won't let them have because of the Halloween experience, my kids will eat these like chews that we give them and they will eat them by the handful. And they've been doing that for the last two and a half years. And last
0: same one to my stepdaughter, my older Yeah.
1: Daughter. And I'm like, okay, cool. Whatever. Like they get lollies that way. You know, they eat chocolate, but we don't have, I've never had a, to- a sweet tooth for lollies um, or white sugar foods. My son definitely does. So we've got to, you know, just be really aware of that addiction. But it's like crack. Like even white bread is like crack for him. I know. Like we had his fifth birthday party on the weekend. I made fairy bread with real bread, not gluten-free bread. And he's just and like if or if you bring home like hot cross buns, and that will happen. Like we don't ha- we don't need a lot of that stuff. We cook from home. We work from home. So we're in very much in control of everything that gets put on our plate. Um, but in how Hall- at Halloween last October. You go to like three or four houses, really. They only end up with like three or four pieces of lollies. Mm. And for three days afterwards, I was like, what has happened to my child? The white mm. sugar, the low quality sweet stuff, just made him like a crackhead. Yeah. And so my rule is like, don't that stuff's not in our house. Yes. That like goes in the bin. Um, that's probably my only major rule, but I would never verbalize it around him, I just wouldn't have it there um so it's really just about for me it's just about getting him the variety watching and being aware of his intuition you know he started school last week he had two days where he didn't eat that much and then the next day he ate everything in his lunchbox and you know everything that I fed him in the afternoon so they they eat and then they don't eat and then you know they're all so different my my youngest boy will sit around the food and eat that you know, whereas my oldest boy, he will play, and when he stops playing, he you can give him a plate full of food, and he'll do that when you're like driving home from the party or something like that. Mm. So they've got their own level of like needs, and I think it's just being aware of that. And for me, when I plate up food, it's just about going: is there variety, and is there like you know, like my plate, you know, is there protein, is there a carbohydrate, and is there a some sort of level of fat and, the more whole foods we can give them, the better. But at the end of the day, if he just eats a Vegemite sandwich all day, that's okay too.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, um, my stepdaughters, I've got a 10 and nine-year-old and both absolutely opposite each other. Like they're so different. It's crazy. If you didn't know that they were sisters, You wouldn't think that they were because they don't look alike. They don't act alike. When they're together, they're best mates, but they're just so different in so many ways. And I've been like not drilling into them, but one of the biggest things when I first moved in with my husband, Steve, and these two girls was food is fuel. That's what I openly speak about because I found You know, the oldest of the two, I think she was maybe six. She'd go for a second or third peanut butter sandwich. And I'm like, babe, you're not hungry. Like, have a piece of fruit if you're hungry. Food's fuel. If you're full, you stop. Um, And that's been a conversation for uh, many years. And, and I don't advocate for McDonald's, but I am a, a mum that if we are having a bad day, we are going through drive through those kids are getting some chicken nuggets and we're going home. Yeah. And I was having a really, really bad day. A couple of months ago, I had a screaming newborn in the back and then a toddler screaming as well. And I was like, righto, that's it, Mac for dinner. I'm not cooking. What do you want? And the youngest one goes, what can I get? And I said, anything you want. Just just pick something. And she goes, okay, I'm going to get a double cheeseburger, a large fries, a McFlurry with some Oreos. And the older one of the two girls, turn around and she goes, Alexis, that's disgusting. Your stomach does not need to feel that way. Food is fuel and you will not be hungry after one of those burgers. You do not need all of that. And I was like, oh, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> he goes, I'll just get a veggie burger, thanks. <laughs> and I was so, like, in that moment, I was like, they're learning. They're sponges and after four years, they're finally starting to pick up what I'm putting down. Um, but, you know, they. my priority with the girls is how does that make you feel? Mm, what's your what, feedback? Yeah, Yeah, eat the cake, go for it. But how do you feel? And I think that that, they're finally starting to go, I feel really crappy. It's not enjoyable. I'm not going to make that decision because I'm going to feel like crap after. And I'm loving the the movement online as well on social media. It's all about that. It's all about how do we feel as humans when we consume food that our bodies don't respond to? Why are we doing it? Did it bring us that much joy? You know?
1: And I think with kids, it's um, the one thing. I actually put a post up on Facebook and I said, Lunchbox, idea, lunchbox ideas, anyone, What if? what's everyone got? Like, give me your thing, you know? Um, one person said, because I was looking at those cute little bento boxes, the, the silver ones are like $110, blah, blah, blah. My friend's like, find one he can open. I was like, tick, I can do that. I love this practical like thing. I'm like, okay, cool, done. Bought him an $11 lunchbox, made him open it, it was worse. So I was like, okay, done. And then when it comes to food, someone else gave me this amazing piece of advice. <clears throat> it's so simple. It's actually Leah's... Um, sister or sister-in-law oh. um, she was like cut up vegetables and I was like I wouldn't have even thought that like you know that's amazing and then I've got like a snack drawer now and I'm like okay well he can have the snack pieces um but cut up vegetables and he's coming home he doesn't eat capsicum at home but I think he's so hungry and it supposed to show the satiation that you get you know vegetables hold so much water they have a fruit break and I'm like okay he's eating better at school than he has when he's been at home
0: amazing Um, it's
1: just the color like so so we I cut it all up and put it I mean he's five like this is the very beginning of my thing here this is no perfection mother story here at all but (laughs) I'm like setting a tone and so I cut up the vegetables and I put them on a breadboard and I kind of help him like I lay out his lunchbox and I'm like Thor you need to come and put your lunchbox together And so it's kind of like his buffet and he's just shoving the veggies in there. And I'm like, okay, cool, whatever, he's done it. It's the first stage of that. You can make your own food, you're in control of what you put in your body. And, you know, it was so cool just to see him be like, I finished my lunch. And I'm like, that's awesome. I love you. And that's kind of all we do around it. But yeah, food's food's an interesting conversation and the whole intuitive eating conversation as well. I just want to add this one thing around that. I think what a lot of people do is they enter, um, you know, for a while there, I was a diet mindset coach. And when people talk about intuitive eating and feedback with our body, I think we come into that conversation or that experience with ourselves with an expectation that we have to do that at every meal. And so what I want to just say, like if you are in a space where you don't know what to do with food and you don't know how to be led by food or to get the feedback, don't put an expectation that you need to do this for the rest of your life at every single meal make intuitive eating or do your research around it but make it like hey you know what if I do an intuitive eating meal or I have space and time where I'm present with my food once a month or once a year even or once a week whatever it looks like just just try it once or twice and see how your body gives you that feedback before you try and like perfect that game yeah. do you know what I mean
0: Yeah, that is absolutely a great idea. I definitely think that that should be encouraged in all households, for adults, for kids, everyone, you know. I absolutely love that. I've got one last question for you before you go Um, because I'd love to know you're such a big advocate for self-love and body image and uh, your content is just so raw and relatable and I know that like as soon as you go on your page, you can't not hit follow. Like you can't not want more of what you're putting out who or has there been some influential people or some resources that you, you could really encourage listeners to go and look at other than yourself um, and go and lean into to help support their self-love journey?
1: Yeah, so my first one, and she's a massive influence in the body positivity arena, Body Posy Panda. So cool. it's Megan Jane Crabbe. She's been in the game for a very long time. And if you haven't got her book, go and buy it. Um, it will expose you to what body positivity is, what the movement is and how imperative it is that we understand what it is. Because I think sometimes it can be skewed with um, people sharing it. I don't share body positivity specifically. Um, My message is more around body confidence and health advocations, but definitely go and do your research around that. Mm. Um, My next one would be Louise Hay. So she's like super old school, super spiritual, super observation in the body and how our emotions um, connect to our body and how basically if we have ailments, disease, anything going on in our body, it's because there's something emotionally going on as well. So that's really important is to understand how what we do and how we feel like you can go and you can be the healthiest person in the world. Um, on a physical level, but if your emotional state, if you're doing that because you hate yourself, if you're doing that because you can't stand to look in the mirror, you will cause disease in your body. And so it's kind of just about having this conversation where it's not just calories in, calories out anymore. It is a whole picture. Mm. Um, who else can I think of in my um, in my realm? Mm let me think definitely like obviously unfollow anyone who makes you feel less than and that's just because of where you're at it's not because of maybe what they're sharing but definitely unfollow Uh, yeah unfollow the influences um that are making you feel less than so you know if you are following people who you know, it's it's, there's lots of selfies and it's all about like what you look like and you're in a state where you want to like start healing this part of you. Um, That's massive. My sister's definitely one I would recommend to go and follow HL Genetics. She is a genetics coach and she understands that it's not one size fits all. It's about our genetic code. Um, And, you know, if you do want to lose weight and you want to do it, leveraging your genetics, she talks about that sort of stuff. But definitely, at the end of the day, this is a self-love journey and self-love journeys aren't, there's no final stop. Um, We all have the same thoughts. The difference between those people that are seemingly successful versus people who are kind of stuck in a rut is that they're choosing to believe the thoughts that are going to evolve them. They're not choosing to be stuck or to um, choose to believe the thoughts that are going to hold us back. So There's always two choices with what we do and how we evolve and how we're moving forward in our life. And there's always I can do this from a fear state or I can, which is generally some level of I'm not good enough, or I can do this from a state of self-love, self-support, which is I deserve and I'm worthy. And that's why I'm choosing this, um, you know, pain or pleasure, essentially. So, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to think if I can think of anyone else. Um, Any of the old school you know if you want to if you want to heal your relationship with food go and follow some amazing chefs like maggie beer yes nigella lawson jamie oliver anyone that's in love with food even um the angry guy what's his name
0: oh, i know who you're talking about i can't yeah. really do that yes
1: go and find people <laughs> that are in love with food Yes, Like they have no, like Maggie B is the best one. She's amazing. Like she's cooking, she's looking after everyone in the home. Um, You know, she's having a glass of wine and there's no level of guilt or shame in that.
0: Oh, I love that! I'm gonna to have to go over and follow her. I don't didn't know that she was on the gram, so I'll go and do that. Beck, thank you so so much for your time and energy into this episode today. I'm so excited to share this with listeners. <laughs> so much here to take away. Like you just saw me, then I was jotting down a couple of things. I'm like, oh, I need to bring that up. That is awesome. Thank you so much for your time, babe. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course, we'll have to do it again. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode of Inside Out. I really want to grow in this space and make sure these stories and experiences are heard. If this episode resonated with you, I would love to hear from you. Please leave me a review and hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss our next conversation. Please also join me on Instagram and let me know what you thought about this episode at Inside Out with Chris. I can't wait to share more with you really soon.